Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, reading the New Testament. They were come to Capernaum. There, uh, they received tribute money. Tax collectors, IRS, they came up to Peter. And they said to Peter, uh, doesn't your master pay taxes? Doesn't he pay tribute? And Peter, he just kind of real fast, you know, out of nervousness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus pays his taxes. And so Peter runs back just to make sure Jesus paid his taxes. And as he's approaching Jesus, Jesus asked him before he could ask him, he says, what do you think, Peter? Do you think the kings of the earth take custom or tribute of their own children or of strangers? And Peter says, well, of of strangers, of course. And Jesus said to him, then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, let's go to the sea. You go ahead and go fishing, cast a hook, take up the fish. And the first fish you catch, when you open his mouth to take that hook out, just go and reach in and you're going to find a piece of money in there. And take that money out of that fish's mouth and give it unto them for me and thee. I want to just talk for the next couple of moments about the children are free. The children are free. The question that we read here in Matthew chapter 17, verse 26, or 25, and the statement Jesus makes in verse 26, is the Jesus was addressing Peter, and he goes, Do you think kings tax their own people, or do you think they tax the people that they have conquered? And the question has an obvious answer. The kings would tax the people that are conquered. And so Jesus says, if the king taxes the people that are conquered, then the citizens are free. The citizens, the children do not have to pay that tribute or that particular custom. But Jesus says, so we don't offend them. We'll, we'll play by the rules. We'll cooperate because the one that was there, Jesus Christ was the king of all kings. He was the Lord of all lords. And so Therefore, he would not have to pay any custom or tribute. But he says, so we don't offend them. Let's just play by their little rules, and we don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to start up like an anti-don't pay your uh, federal government taxes campaign. I don't want to get into that type of boat. I don't want to argue that. I don't want to fuss and cuss whether it's right for them to tax me on this, but let's just do it. And many times we don't always go along with the program so we don't disrupt peace. And perhaps you could think of a moment or two where you you don't have to do something, but you do it just to go with the flow, to keep everything calm and relaxed. You don't want to raise anarchy. You don't want to raise a fight. And so you just, just go along with it. Just, just be peaceful and be happy, and everyone's going to be okay. I don't want to rock the proverbial boat. I take us to a psalm, the second psalm in the Old Testament, and I want to read a single verse. And in Psalm 2, in verse 3, we read this statement. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let me ask you this question. When you look at that verse on the screen or when you're reading that in your Bible, what comes to your mind? I'll read it again. Let us break their bands asunder. Let's cast away their cords from among us. 
And when you read that face and you kind of ponder it for a moment, perhaps you think about the power and the control of Satan. Let's let's break Satan's bands asunder. Let's cast away the cords that the devil has on our community. And the devil, he does have the community in bands, and he does tie down people with cords of affliction and cords of addiction. That old serpent, the devil, is running the show in society. Now, we, the church, we ought not to be okay with this. We need to break that cycle of dysfunction as we have reiterated time and time again. God has positioned this church to disrupt the cycle of generational sins. My dad was an alcoholic. My grandpa was an alcoholic. My best friends, you know, just round and round we go where it stops. No one really knows. God wants us to intervene and disrupt that. Someone say in Jesus name. But I pose to you that the devil's not as strong as you think. Or perhaps better put, you're not as weak as you think. Luke eleven twenty, Jesus says this, But if I, by the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. That's incredible. Jesus says, if I, by, he didn't say I need to use a bicep. He didn't say I need to do bench press. He didn't say I need to do, you know, use my my legs, my quads, my hamstrings. He didn't say I need a tank. He didn't say I need the host of heaven's armies to be around. He says, by the finger of God, I can cast out any devil. And if I, by the finger of God, can do that, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees that are accusing him of casting out devils by devils. Because the Pharisees are seeing things they've never seen before and they're feeling insecure about their lack of authority because it's being exposed that they've been tolerating all the spiritual wickedness. They've not been addressing it. They've been not attacking it. Why? Because everything was comfortable. I got money in the bank. I'm got, I got nice clothes and we got a good turnout. We got, we got a nice decorated temple. And, and in fact, you know, the, 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 the community, the city council, they're on board with us. And so why disrupt anything that's going on right now? Everything's going just fine. But Jesus comes on the scene. He does everything completely crazy to them and he's casting out devils. And so they begin to accuse him. And Jesus says, look, I'm casting out the devils, not by the devil, but by the finger of God. You think this is some great, mighty exploit, but this don't take much for me. I, I, I can do it with my pinky finger. I can cast out these devils. In fact, in the time where the people of God were captive for 400 years under the rule and jurisdiction of Pharaoh, which in the Old Testament, Egypt and Pharaoh was a type of world sin bondage. And so anytime you read those stories, God's trying to illustrate something to us through something that literally did happen, but spiritually applies to us today. And those plagues in Egypt, when Moses went forth and began to disrupt the system, all of a sudden, uh, uh, the, the magicians, they would try to replicate the power of God. Say, see, our gods are just as great as your God. whoop de doo that you think you are more powerful than we are. But all of a sudden, come the third plague down the road, and, and now they can't re- imitate creation because the other plagues, they used God's properties, and they just replicated it. But when they created something out of the dust, when formed something out of the dust, those magicians said, this God's different. 
This plague is none other than the finger of God. The devil, the enemy, the adversary, the Egyptians recognized that this was the finger of God. Not after long after that, when God completely and totally liberates the people of God, they're now at Mount Sinai, and God all of a sudden gets these tablets, and, and his finger begins to ingrain and write the Ten Commandments. These are the three times we read this statement about the finger of God. Jesus casting out devils by the finger of God. We read about the situation where the plagues where God is whooping Egypt with his little pinky finger. And now God is on the mountain writing those Ten Commandments with his very finger. We, by the very finger of God, cords can be severed and words can be forever settled. God can forever sever any cord that binds you with his finger. And he can forever settle any word he decrees over you with his finger. He who the son sets free is free indeed. God can cut Egypt out of your life and he can write your name down in the Lamb's book of life that nobody can snatch out of his hand. Are you glad for that? Would you clap your hands to the Lord? The law of sin broken and the law of holiness written by the finger of God. In Luke eleven twenty one and 22, Jesus says, When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. The devil is that strong man that we are up against. And the devil has been at peace long enough. He's been relatively not disrupted or interrupted. He's just kind of relaxed, and he's happy to give us just a little little bone to chew on every now and again to feel like we are having victory, that we are making some sort of big progress when really it's not. I'm thankful for every addition. I'm thankful for every progress that we make. But God is not just a God of addition. He is a God of multiplication. God's kingdom should be ever expanding. The gates of hell ought not to be prevailing against the church. The devil, though, Jesus does state here that he is a strong man. But the good news is God is stronger than the devil. I I think I've shared it sometime before in the past. My pastor, who is in Indianapolis, and he, he serves at Indiana Bible College, he, he was a missionary for some 15, 17 years in the country of Germany. And uh, my, my pastor, he's, he's just amazing. He's the greatest Christian I honestly, personally know. And uh, everybody says they know the greatest Christian, but I'm telling you, I know the greatest Christian. And um, he, 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 he shared, you know, lots of stories when he was on the mission field trying to dig a work out there in Germany. And he was out there in the real, the real tough times back in the, you know, 70s, 80s. And um, he, he was ta- talking about how fear got a hold of him. He's only, been, he's only had fear get a hold of him two times that I can recall him ever sharing with me. And if, if I'm saying this accurate, and I got to preface it very carefully because he listens sometimes. So, Pastor Sleva, I think I'm telling the story right. And so he, he was uh, overcome with fear. He was sleeping in an abandoned castle out in Germany. And uh, I think I'd be a little 
little scared too, maybe. And so in this abandoned castle out there, and the spirit of fear is just kind of coming over him, and, and he's praying, and, and I, I don't remember if it was a vision or a dream, but God showed him this, this beautiful light at the end of the tunnel, and he was excited to get to it. He started fastly approaching this light, but then stood this, this, this dark knight in black armor, and he was very imposing and intimidating, and, and, and he just stood there and stared my pastor down, and so my pastor just began to back up a little bit, and, and he wanted to walk away, but he could not get his eyes off the light that was beyond the night. He wanted to get there. It was so beautiful. It was so inviting. It was encouraging to come him to come. It was inviting him to pursue, but this night was in the way. Long story short, as he kept trying to figure out, well, maybe if I run around him or if I slide underneath his legs or maybe if I, you know, pull vault over him, I could, he's trying to figure out all these ways. How can I get around this night to avoid conflict? How can I get past him without having to physically engage him? And he was so discouraged that he could not go beyond, so he's about to walk away, but something came over him. And he just ran and darted as fast as he could towards this black knight in armor. And as he ran, all of a sudden, he just kind of like put his shoulder down like you would trying to tackle someone or football or hit them. And he goes right to him. And he was expecting maybe like a little whiplash or something or maybe to fall back. But he went right through him. He, he shredded just like thin little glass, like little paper, like peanut brittle. It just fell apart, and he broke free and made it to the other end. And he looked back, and, and he was like, really? That was it? That, that was what was stopping me? I could have got here a lot sooner. I could have been here earlier if I would have only known how weak and brittle this knight in armor was in front of me. Look, I know the devil can look intimidating. Your situation can seem overwhelming. And it is in our mind. It is a legit concern. It is a legitimate fear that you can have. It is something that, you know, I, I, you can't just pretend it's not there. It is there. It's in the forefront in your mind. It's maybe not just the mental, it's the literal. I mean, you literally have this situation in front of you and how do you negotiate with it? How do you break through it? How do you overcome it? Uh, and, and it can just seem overwhelming and overbearing. I can't do it. But God is greater than what you are against. And you are stronger with God than what you are up against. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 2. We read a moment ago Psalm 2-3. But I want to go back and read the entire psalm to give us some understanding. I asked you what came to your mind when you read Psalm 2-3. Let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast their cords from us. But let's rewind to verse 1. The question is posed, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The context are the lost. The context are that which is against God. They are contriving or conceiving or conceptualizing in their mind Something that is vain, it will not happen. It will not come to pass. It is impossible. The kings of the earth even set themselves. And the rulers take counsel together, 
So you got the heathen, you got the people, you got spiritual wickedness in high places. You got the kings of the earth setting up themselves and the rulers planning and plotting and coming together against the Lord. Not just against the Lord. Look at that. Against his anointed. There is a unified or joint effort of the heathen. There is a unified joint effort of the kingdom of darkness against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. And they're the ones saying, look at now we go back to verse three. They're the ones saying, let's break their bands asunder. Let's cast their cords from us. See, the context is not us asking to be set free. It is the enemy asking to be set free. But so often we're wired to think that the enemy is more powerful. The enemy has more jurisdiction. That the enemy has the upper hand on us. But when you look at this request, we talk about the Lord's prayer. This is the devil's prayer. This is the enemy's prayer. I hope we can break the bands of the church. I hope we can get the cords of the church off. I'm tired of the church having power over me. I'm tired of the church pulling away from my king. See, the enemy is afraid of the church. The enemy is afraid of the Lord and of the Lord's anointed. You got to realize that we serve a God that the enemy is praying to say, please, I want to break the rule that you have over me. And I want to break the rule your anointing has over me. Over me. I'm telling you, we are on the right team. We're on the right side. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Would you clap your hands? Someone shout, Praise the Lord. That's the enemy's prayer. They want to break our bands. They want to cast away the cords that God has given us. Verse 4, we go on reading here. It says, he that sits in heaven laughs. So he, God, God's completely aware of the enemy's camp plotting and planning against us. And, and, and God's not, he's not really all that afraid like, oh my goodness. He's, he's just sitting in heaven, kick back and be like, It's like, it's like when Mason and Jason challenge me to basketball. Like, I, I don't worry. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. Like, I, I, there's no fear in me whatsoever. I know I'm going to win. I know I'm going to dominate. I, I, I can sit back and watch them go to the rec center extra early. They wake up before the crack of noon, and they run up and down the court, and I'm just like, this is easy. I don't have to do nothing. And I just, I mop the floor with them. That, I'm not, I'm not like God, but I, that's as close as I can get to visualizing myself in that situation. Is that the enemy is coming up with all these plans and he's got more people joining in his team. He's got more, he's stacking the squad. He's got LeBron James. He's got Michael Jordan. He's got Kobe Bryant. He's got all these powerful elite adversaries and enemies. And God just sitting back, man, this is hilarious. Is that what the Bible says? I know it doesn't say LeBron James, but it says the one that sits in heaven laughs. And look at this. The Lord shall have them in derision. That word derision, looking up in the Hebrew, it means to deride or imitating in a foreign language by to speak unintelligibly or to stutter, to mock. So, so it's like the enemy is planning and God's leaning over saying, oh, 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 you, you, you think you're going to win? 
You you think you're going to win? Just make it fun. Mocking the enemy. Insulting him. Just taunting him. And God just says, and it's just kind of like, you know, after, after, you know, again, sorry to use Mason and Jason as an example. You know, they never saw me play basketball before. And I'm not great. You know, I'm just a water bug on the, on, on the court. That's about it. And so, and I could score fairly accurately. I'm kind of a, an assassin. And so the, 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 when, they, when, when, they, when I got on the court with them and I started dropping it, I just started, uh, 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 just started mocking them. And that's what it's like with God. The enemy, he actually thinks he has the upper hand. But all of a sudden, God just pulls out his little finger. Oh, 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 oh you thought you, oh, okay. Okay. And here we are. We're sitting scared. We're afraid of the enemy. We're afraid of the devil. Oh, my God. I wonder if the church is going to survive. I wonder if I'm ever going to overcome. I I wonder if I could. I wonder if this is going to work out. And God is like, what are you so worried about? Do you not know that the enemy is afraid of you because I'm on your team? I chose you on my team. You haven't chosen me. I have chosen you. And the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. I'm telling you, if we are on the Lord's side, it does not matter what is against us. I wish someone get excited about being on the Lord's team. Philippians 1.28 says, in nothing, not a single thing, don't you dare be terrified by your adversary. If you could ever get the boldness inside of you, the revelation of the enemy, and stop backing down and stand up to the adversary and not be terrified by him, it says it is communicating to the enemy. You know of his perdition, and you know of your salvation, and you do know your God. And that same verse reading in the New Living Translation so you could better comprehend it. Look at, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemy. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but you are going to be saved even by God himself. Even if I'm out there and it seems I'm getting beat, my God is not going to leave me out on the floor by myself. He's going to step in. He's going to redeem the time. He's going to redeem the day. He's going to break in and he's going to break through. Let's lift our hands for a moment. Can you begin to call on the name of Jesus right now? Come on, somebody, you've been up against a dark night and you see light ahead of you, but you're afraid of that dark night. But I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, God brought you here today, let you know you're going to go right through it. You're going to go right through it. Whatever night is ahead of you right now, you're going to break forth in the name of Jesus. We're going to break forth in the name of Jesus. We're going to break forth in the name of Jesus. We're going to break forth in the name of Jesus. We go on reading that Psalm in verse five. It says they shall speak unto and then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. Finally, God's like, I had enough. I had enough of your goofiness. I had enough of you, enemy. And then verse 6, he says, Then have I set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. I will declare 
the decree. That's what we need to do. I'm still in, I don't know, you want to call this part three of a sermon? I'm still in there. I'm still in this faith thing right now. And I'm still into declaring the decree, declaring the evidence, putting that evidence in the enemy's face and letting him know that we have a God that is for us. It does not matter what is against us. So I will declare the decree. I wonder if you could say verse seven with me. I will declare the decree. I will declare the decree. I will declare the decree. You've got to get persuaded about what is in your hand. Just start declaring the decree. Start declaring the word. You don't know how to pray? Pick up your Bible, open it, and start speaking the word into the atmosphere. Start declaring the decree to the prince of the power of the air. He's afraid of the finger of God, and the finger of God is what has written this holy writ, this holy book. It is forever settled, and the finger of God can cast out a devil. The finger of God can set you in place in destiny. We got the finger of God on our side. We go on reading here. It says, the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Why does this sound so strangely familiar to us? It's because this has all come to pass. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. This is the prophecy of the birth of Jesus Christ, the begotten of God, that if this has come to pass, that means this is accessible. It is already set in motion. You just got to keep up with the word. You got to pick it up and begin to declare the decree. Verse 9, and if you would do that, you can, you can look at your enemy and you can break that iron curtain that is over your head. That iron dome that is over Watertown. And we can break through it with a rod of iron. We can dash that chain link fence. That barbed wire fence around us into pieces. Verse 10. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. God says, you better wise up, guys. Like, he's talking to his enemies saying, you better wise up. Because I'm about to whoop you. I'm about to mop the floor with you. I'm about to cast you out into outer darkness. You better Listen up. He's giving the enemies a warning. He says, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Worship God. Serve God. His name is Jesus. And he perished from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Look at this. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. If we would trust in him, you have to trust and you will be blessed. You have to trust, and you will be blessed. Whatever is attacking you and your family and your mind, if we can just get a hold of Psalm chapter 2 and verse 3, that that enemy is saying, I'm afraid of the bands they have that they could put on me. What did Jesus say? Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you Loose on earth will be loosened. See, the devil is afraid of your chains. The devil is afraid of your bands. 
He's afraid of what you can. That's why Psalm 2-3 is there. The enemy is afraid that you discover who you are. You realize who you are in God, that you can bind him and you can lose some things. If you can realize the power that is in your voice when you call on the name of Jesus in faith and you say, in the name of Jesus, devil, I bind you. Get your hand off my son. Get your hand off my daughter. Get your hand off my father. Get your hand off my mother, devil. In the name of Jesus, devil, I bind your addiction that you put on me. I will not be in addiction. I will not be bound. The devil is afraid. Psalm 2.8 says, ask of me and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. But there's the asking. We've got to pray, and we've got to pray with faith. I know this is the third week into it, and I don't know how long we're going to keep going at it, but I'm not going to let up until you let it in, in your mind and in your spirit, because we have to have faith for the next step. We have to have faith for the new level. We have to have faith for the breakthrough, and you got to ask of him. God, I'm going to ask of you. Like we said the other week, keep on knocking until you get that bread you're knocking for. Keep on praying. Keep on pursuing. Keep on asking. Jesus is the one that gave the parable to help us understand how to pursue him in prayer. But we let down so early, so often. And so he says, ask me, I'll give you the heathen for inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. He will give us people and he will give us property. That's what the scripture says. Ask for the heathen for your inheritance and ask for the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. God is looking for a person in this room just to get bold in your prayer and start asking for the lost to be found and start claiming things in Jesus' name. We're going to get that building in Jesus' name. We're going to have we're going to have a Christian orphanage in Watertown in Jesus' name. We're going to have a detox center in Jesus' name. We just start we just got to start claiming some things, realizing the enemy is afraid if we start declaring and we start claiming. I believe it is a will of God for the church to be the most influential element in a community. That is the will of God. Verse 9, I'm on, or first uh, uh, John Four one. I'm just about done. It's two forty five. I'm about to shut up. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Let's lift our hands one more time. Let's let's come on. Open up your spirit to Jesus. Open up your heart. Come on, ask Him. God, God, I need something today. God, I need Your Word to come to pass in my heart today. Come on, pray that. Don't don't just listen to what I'm saying. I want you to pray something like that. Let it be your own prayer. Let it be your own voice. God, I want I want something like that for my marriage. I want something like that for my children. I want something for that, Lord, in my, my home. God, I need it, Jesus. I am up against, Lord, a dark situation. Lord, I pray that you would give me boldness and give me revelation to realize the enemy's afraid if I get revelation today. Would you clap your hands to the Lord right now? First John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Don't believe. And I, I know immediately the meaning of this verse is talking about false preachers and false teachers. I'm aware of the context. But at the same time, the implication is don't believe every spirit. Whether it be from a, 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 a human that is a, a false teacher but any spirit that would communicate to you, don't be so quick to believe it. Don't be so quick to just embrace it. 
Because spirits will come at us. The enemy will come at us. Because he's just hoping that you will believe his spirit. That you will believe Psalm 2-3 is, you need to hope, you know, his bands can be broken. Oh, my goodness. And if he can get you to believe that, then he's got the upper hand. But if you could believe Psalm 2-3 is, wait a second. I don't need the upper hand. I got the finger of God. I, I could whoop you right now, devil. You're not going to let me own that spirit. That spirit of fear comes into your room. Don't own that as your fear. That's the devil's fear. He's afraid of you. You cast him out. That spirit of depression comes at you. You know, what, what happened, when, what happened when, that, when Jesus stepped out of the boat into that, the land of Gadarenes? That man that had over 1,000, some people say 7,000 devils inside, a legion in that man begins to cry out. And they could not keep that man from worshiping and calling out to Jesus. And that spirit that was on him was suicidal because that spirit of depression went into those pigs. And they threw themselves off the cliff and they killed themselves. That, you could have 7,000 things, spirits trying to call you to be suicidal and depressed but by the finger of God you can cast out a legion you could speak the word with authority and boldness and fervor and favor saying the gates of hell you're not establishing your kingdom in my mind or in my home someone say in Jesus name so don't believe every spirit that comes into your home don't 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 entertain any spirit that comes in your home and don't open up the doors for any spirit to come into your home this is why I'm Adam. And my wife and I, this is what we've done personally. We just, we, 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 we decide when we got married, we're never going to have a TV. We're not going to have Netflix. Because I don't want a gateway into my home of something that's going to put some sort of sexual imagery in my mind. I don't want something pouring out vile language into my mind. I don't want that kind of stuff. And so I'm just like, you know what? I not only will I not invite the devil, I'm not going to give him an opening or a key to pour out any influential things in my thought and my eyes. I tell you what, I don't regret it one bit. My, my marriage is thriving, going on. I'm 13, 14 years coming up this December, and man, I have the most clearest mind. You're, you're looking at someone that came out of heavy pornography, someone absolutely addicted and bound, but in one day, I made up my mind that the finger of God is greater. I want the hand of God in my life, and he began to cast out all those imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And so, look, we got to try this spirit and see whether it's of God. So whatever's in your home, just ask yourself, is this of God or not of God? Is this, is this good for my spirit or bad for my spirit? What, what voices will I start going? So when you start having the wrong voices in your mind, start looking around what you're allowing to speak into it. Right? So don't believe it. Cast it out. Don't let it live in your head. You don't pay no rent. Verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Just about done, folks. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Do you believe Psalm 2 has come to pass? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Today I have begotten. Is that what Psalm 2 is about? So if you start confessing that and believing that and professing that, you have access to the finger of God. 
You have access to cast out every single devil that will try to come into your mind, into your marriage, into your home, into your family, whatever you're up against at the workplace, there is power and authority on you because we believe this message that to wit God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself. We believe Timothy 3.16, the mystery of God is God was manifest in the flesh. We believe this message and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, verse 3, is not of God. It's a spirit of antichrist. Wherever you have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. You are of God. Someone say, I am of God. You are of God. Don't remove God from the equation. You are of God. Little children. The children are free. The children are free. You're of God. You're his children. And you've overcome them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Going back to Jesus and Peter saying, well, what do you think, Peter? Does the king tax his children or does he tax the servants? Well, he taxed the servants. He taxed the non-citizens. Then the children are free. You are of God. You are a child of God. So you're free. Stop paying taxes to the devil. Stop just exchanging currency with the enemy. We're so afraid and so oppressed of the devil that we're, he's making money off of us. He's making, he's, he's enjoying all of our time, energy, and fear. We keep feeding him with our fear. We keep empowering him with our worry. We keep empowering him with entertaining his sins and entertaining this world. But if you can realize, look, you are a child of God. You got no business in the pig pen. You are the child of God. Stand up and have a little faith in your God and have a little faith in your voice and start speaking up when you pray and take authority over their surrounding and say, in the name of Jesus, by the finger of God, devil, you have no authority in my mind. You have no power in my family. I cast you out now. I wish someone stand to their feet and feel a little boldness in your spirit right now. The gates of hell are not here to prevail against the church. We are the children of God and the children are free. God has empowered you. God has anointed you. I wish there could be a worship that goes forth right now. Hallelujah. 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 Woo, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 
Oh, I wonder if there's a child of God here today that God's given you a little revelation right now. God's given you a little instruction or inspiration of what to do. I wonder if there's a child of God in this place that wants to boldly approach the throne room, that boldly wants to approach this altar today and say, you know, I, you know, I usually come crawling. I come with my head all low and I can, you know, barely get up above a whisper or a whimper. But I wonder if something in your spirit desires desires to shift right now to realize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. The Bible has prophesied, promised, and proclaimed to you that you have overcome him. If you really believe who Jesus is, you have access to the power and the authority of God over the adversary. Listen carefully. If you're here, and you're, you're battling addiction. If you've been fighting nicotine, you've been heavily just addicted, you want out of it, you want broken from it, by the finger of God, you can be free today. Today. You can completely be set free. If you are battling with alcohol, you want out of it, you don't want to relapse, you don't want to revisit anymore, you're tired of it, you are a child of God. And by the finger of God, he can sever that cord that keeps pulling on you. I know you're distanced from it, but it's like a bungee cord, and it's about as tense as it can get, and you feel as if you're going to get lunged back to that direction. I'm telling you right now, this is your altar to come to and say, in the name of Jesus, by the finger of God, I sever that cord in the name of Jesus. If you're here right now and you have some mental games going on in your mind, whether it's depression, anxiety, fear, worry, temptation, this is your altar where you come boldly and say, I'm a child of God. And by the finger of God, I am going to shatter the bands that try to take root in my mind. We, we got to get a boldness in our spirit, church. We are the children of God. God and the gates of hell are afraid of us. The gates of hell are, they're the ones praying as we're at this altar the devil's praying Psalm 2 3. Oh God, God please, I, we gotta find a way to cut their cords. We gotta find a way to cut their bands. They're about to bind me. They're about to cast me out. They're about to tear down my kingdom. The devil is afraid if you are bold right now. The devil is afraid if you come confidently in the Holy Ghost right now. Uh, If you're ready to be set free right now, I want you to throw your hands in the air and I want you to right now declare by the finger of God. I pray by the power and the authority and the anointing of the word. Jesus, I pray right now by your finger that you would write down, Lord, your commands, your deliverance in their heart, God. Write upon the tablets of our heart with your finger. I pray you sever every addiction of cigarette, every addiction of alcohol, every addiction of pornography, every addiction, God, that sin and weight that so easily besets us. In the name of Jesus, I decree it. I will decree and I will declare that decree. In Jesus' name. That's it. Lift up.